Unstoppable Kick-Ass Confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome to Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You're at your place for the Raw and Scripted Show with yours truly, Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, and I'm here to help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Thank you guys for joining us, whether you're live or on the replay, whether you're watching us on the video cast or listening to us on the audio podcast. Thank you much, very much for being here with us tonight. Appreciate you guys. And we've got a great show lined up for you. And we're going to get started with that in just a few moments. But as always, I would just like to take a moment just to see how you guys are doing. What's going on in your life? How are things going here in January of 2023? And actually, no, actually now February of 2023. It's pretty amazing how time flies by so fast. I'm always just looking at my show, this here, the Raw and Scripted show. We're already booking into June, ladies and gentlemen. So we got some exciting guests coming up. We've got some new things coming up. Actually, uh, if you guys watch my Friday night show, The Unfiltered Experience, uh, not last week, but the week before, we had uh, my friend Patricia. She was on there uh, co-hosting with me and we interviewed somebody and she she had such a great time doing it. She's like, can we do more of that? And because I have a co-host on the Friday night show, usually I have Scott Goyette. Um, I told her, I said, absolutely, we can do it. So she's uh, reached out to a few people that she knows. And she's like, I kind of like this podcast thing, but I want I don't want to do it myself. And so we're going to have a couple of guests coming on in May. So put it on your calendar. I think it's May 2nd and May 9th. Both of those weeks, we're going to have Patricia Geigick uh, here guest hosting with me. And we're going to be talking to some pretty influential people. So you definitely want to um, be uh, be here for that. And there's Patricia right now. See, I'm talking about you. And she's, uh, she's, she's saying yes. So you guys listen on the audio podcast. So put it on your calendar. May 9th, May 2nd, and May 9th. Put that on your calendar. Those are going to be uh, exceptional shows. Not like any of them are exceptional, right? Uh, we always have our good ones and our, and our not so good ones, and that's okay. But appreciate you guys being here with us tonight. And uh, as always, uh, ask us questions. You know, this is a conversation between all of us. So this is, I always tell my guests that it's us sitting in a bar or a coffee shop having a conversation, and everybody who is watching or listening is kind of eavesdropping in on the conversation. So they're like, what are those guys talking about? They sound like they got their shit together. It sounds like they're having a good conversation. It sounds like they're upbeat and they're positive and they're kicking ass in life. What are they doing? So you guys are those people. So feel free to ask us questions during this conversation tonight. Feel free to engage with us in the comments. Like if something you like or you disagree with or you like or you agree with, whatever it might be, just let us know. And then we can just put you up here in the banner and then the whole world can see what it is that you think. Isn't that exciting? Thank you, for Patricia, for being here. I also call her Patty. She's my dear, dear friend and wonderful mentor. Oh, uh, we got Natalie in the house. What's up, Natalie? Thank you for being here. I always get confused because your name is Natalie, but your picture is uh, the lead singer of Nickelback, uh, Chad Kroger. Um, so thank you for being here. I appreciate you tuning in live. I know you just uh, messaged me a little while ago and said you were binging on the Raw and Unscripted show. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Any episode that you particularly like, uh, feel free to share that. Let it let people know what's going on here at the Raw and Unscripted show because I've been doing this now. This is actually episode, uh, this is episode number one. 199. Ooh, next week's my 200th episode. Who do I have next week? Who gets to be the lucky person on the 200th episode of the Raw and Unscripted show? I'll tell you right now. I don't know you guys want me to tell you before I end the show, but uh, let's see. Next week we have coming up Karen Gray. Ah, actually, uh, my my guest tonight knows Karen Gray. And so that's going to be a, a fun conversation as well. So uh, be sure to tune in for that. That's going to be our 200th episode. Can you believe that? Yes, I actually started this January 2019. I started this show a week before my major back surgery and God is my witness. I'm sitting here in, a, in a, an excruciating amount of pain. Unfortunately, uh, the last couple of days were a little bit better. I know you guys follow me on social. Uh, today has been hell. And so fortunately, thankfully, unfortunately, unthankfully, I guess I have an MRI scheduled for Friday uh, in the morning. So we're going to see what's going to be going on with that. So hopefully I don't need any more surgery because that was hell. But my point is that we started the show here and, um, and then I came back after my surgery. I said, I wanted to start the show before my surgery. And then I came back after my surgery and kind of walked you guys through that process. And that was actually before this was a video podcast. So interesting times, I decided to do a video podcast and I decided to do it live because I just love the excitement. I love the adrenaline. I love having people part of the conversation and being able to have a, a, a good time. And uh, Natalie says she's listening to, I guess, show number 197. So thank you for that. I got Robert in the house. It's good evening, Christopher, Patricia, and uh, Natalie. Thank you for being here. We got Nicole Young in the house. She says, hello, good evening. 
and she's uh, sending me prayers, prayers, you get answers. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty stubborn and I'm pretty belligerent. When I teach people how to be unstoppable, it's, it's too for me, it's at, to a fault. Uh, sometimes I don't know when to stop. So my doctor actually encouraged me to be very careful because if they're, and this is for your own benefit, if you ever have back pain or back issues, if your L5 S1, which is your bottom disc that goes to your uh, Cossex right below there, if that disc herniates and the nerves that are coming out of the foraminal canal uh, get pinched, you could actually lose uh, control of your bowels and your bladder. And if that happens, you have to go to the emergency room right away because if they don't fix it, it could lead to permanent damage or permanent paralysis of your legs. So that's not so much fun. We don't appreciate that. Uh, we don't want to definitely have that. But at any rate, um, there's just a little update on my back. You know, all things being equal. We're here at the Raw and Unscripted Show. And um, yeah, we're going to have a good time tonight. And so my guest tonight, I've had the opportunity to meet with her. We are a part of a group together on LinkedIn where we help support one another's posts and everything. And uh, she's an exceptional leader. She has an amazing story. And we're going to be talking tonight a lot about the business world and how we either as staff or as leaders or as business owners can adapt and change with everything that's going on in this post pandemic world. I call it a post pandemic world. Uh, what leadership looks like, what our roles as staff and support personnel look like, what our roles as entrepreneurs and just the lay people. We're going to be talking all things mindset because that's what we do here on the Ron and Scripted Show. So please help me welcoming to, please help me welcome to the Ron and Scripted Show, Miss Lisa Collada. Lisa, what's going on, dear? How are you? doing today hello there i'm well thank you sorry i was on mute for a moment there chris i'm doing well i'm doing well i'm sorry to hear about your back i hope they get to the bottom of all of that yeah they will i mean i'm pretty sure i need surgery they wanted to do surgery six months after my first surgery and i told them hell no i told them to get bent i wasn't going to do it and they said we'll live in pain and i said i will and then now the pain's gotten worse so i'm guessing i just don't uh, want to do that i don't know if i don't know if you ever had back surgery but it's definitely not enjoyable look no i i Fortunately, haven't had to experience that firsthand, but I do know that once something happens to your back, you really need to focus carefully on it to make sure that you're doing the right thing all the time. Otherwise, it does catch up with you, no doubt. Yeah. So do you think doing a 5K bubble run last weekend was a bad idea? <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Were you, were, you in the, were you in the bubble while you did it? No. Oh, no, actually, no, it was actually bubbles. Like it was like more of a kid's thing. So you went through oh, these. Enjoying bubbles. Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was really cool. You, you, hold on. Right. Yeah, you went through, you went through these uh, checkpoints, if you will. And you just went through a whole ton of bubbles, like bubbles up to your face and everything. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, if you, I think it would have been better if you were in a bubble, but short answer. <laughs> no, Chris, I don't know that that was necessarily oh. the best decision for you, but did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I had a great time. My son had a great time. My wife had a great time. Oh, there you go. And I, and it was I watched. It was worth it. I walk through it. I limp through it, but yeah, unstoppable, yeah. baby. <laughs> of course you are. It's a uh, look, there's always consequences for our actions and our inactions, isn't there? So mm -hmm. I think you made the right decision, Chris. Spend quality oh. time with your family. Yes. It's important. Absolutely. Thank you, Lisa. My and, you are, and you're coming to us from Australia all the way from land down under. I am. It's two o'clock in the afternoon here in Sydney. Um, evening time there for you. I'm yeah. 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. There you go. Yep. Sydney, and given that it's the middle of summer, we're actually having a dreary old wet day today, which is a bit unusual for us. We've been having sensational weather over the last couple of weeks, but today is a bit bit wet, bit damp. But, you know, can't control the weather, so all good, all good. Well, I will bring you the sunshine through this broadcast, so thank you for oh, being here. Appreciate it. Um, we got Nicole sitting here chiming in. She says, our biggest strength can also be our weakness, LOL. Yes, Absolutely. Um, yes, so. For you, Miss Lisa, what, what got you started in, in, in your own particular work and your practice as a governance uh, specialist in leadership in corporate and trying to shift things around for people? Oh, great question. So how did I get here? I have been working in the governance space for about 20 or so years, and I was finding the organisations I was in, and I'm sure many of you might choose to jump into LinkedIn and have a look at my background and my experience. I was in a lot of corporate environments, and I learned a lot. I had great mentors in the environment I was in, but I got to tell you, I put a lot. Of, I put up with a lot of corporate bullshit. Oh, yeah. am I allowed to swear, Chris? I oh, geez, this is the Ron and Scripted Show, baby. You can swear all you want. Fantastic. I was I'll putting be, up I'll with being a real. A real. Oh, look, being real. Let me be real, folks. Yeah. I put up with far more corporate BS than I ever should have, and because of the environments I was in, I was in environments where you had to go along to get along, and you were there 
because you had to be and also a little bit because you wanted to be as well. So mm. I was really fortunate. I was in some great environments and some not so great environments. But I found that this thing that I do called governance was being corrupted by individuals and the context around that is basically they were using the opportunity for them to use power and authority in a way for good and but also in a way for evil. Yeah. And when I say in a way for evil, I mean they were doing stuff to basically feed their own egos and serve themselves. And as a result, governance got a really bad rap. It was really hard slog selling governance in these organisations, Chris, because <laughs> everyone thought governance was the problem, but it wasn't the problem. It was the leaders and their application of governance that was the problem. And so about four or so years ago, I was in a in an environment, in a government department, in fact, within state government in here in New South Wales and Sydney, and I got the opportunity, my, my role became redundant and it was a really great opportunity for me to sit back and say to myself, Lisa, what do you want to do? Do you want to go into another environment and do your best to support them around governance, be an employee, or are you, is it time for you to actually set up for yourself and go out there and practice, truly practice what you preach? And that's what I chose to do. I took my little bit of redundancy dollars and I started the Governance Collective. And so... I basically go into organisations, Chris, and I clean up all that corporate bullshit. <laughs> and, yeah, so that's what I do. And I have lots of real conversations with leaders. Um, and I guess one of the things I've found, if you don't mind me sharing, is that this governance stuff, the misuse of this governance stuff tends to happen for three reasons. Yeah. Firstly, leaders put governance in place. They put rules in place around how to make decisions and how things have to work and operate. Then they leave it. They don't maintain it. Mm -hmm. The world changes. Everyone moves on, but the governance stays, and it really pisses people off working in environments like that. So um, that's the first reason. The second reason why it tends to play out is because some leaders go off on really fancy-smancy training courses about what great governance looks like yep. for big high-end, you know, ASX-listed um, organisations or, uh, you know, um, really listed companies. And they come back to their environments and they overkill governance so heavily because they think that their organisations are the same as the ones that they were taught about. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate. Mm. And, of course, the third one, which I want to talk about today with you, is leaders are misusing their power and authority and they're using the governance frameworks for their own personal means. And mm. it sucks working in environments like that because how people feel is really, really important. And these leaders typically... They don't check in and see how people are feeling. So that's kind of the main reasons why I find governance is applied poorly and part of the reason why I started on my own. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I was in, I think we had talked about this before. I was in corporate for many, many years, over a couple of decades, and then left yeah. that in November of 2019 to do this. You know, I sat there and took a same thing. I took a step back and was like, do I really want to go back and do all that stuff and and work my ass off to support somebody else's goals and, and be a part of the KPIs and everything else? Because I too, like yourself, was made redundant. And I was like, after 26 years, really? That's that's the way you're gonna treat me. It was pretty yeah. ridiculous. But um, one of the things I really wanted to to key on with you now is the leadership, and I've always been fascinated by leadership. I've got a master's degree in leadership. Is the the change in the corporate dynamic space now since since COVID, right? You know, since 2019 to now, there's been so many shifts in the way we do business and leadership and generational differences and and the quiet quitting and everything else. What are some things that you're seeing as far as issues and things that people are addressing in the corporate space now with regards to leadership? And also, before we ask that, before we answer that one, just for everybody's sake, what is governance? Because I know when I first heard it, before wow. I knew. You, it sounded like it sounded like you know the government was going to. It sounded like you know government. the ruler was going to come down. It was like it yeah. sounds sounds intimidating. So talk to us about what in, uh, what governance yeah. and then yeah. Well, let me let me define it first, and I'll, I'll define it in my way. There's lots of really formal, uh, fancy ways of defining it. Governance, when you're looking in an organization, is roles and um, roles and accountabilities. It's defining approving and applying lines of accountability in organisations. Nice. And the ways companies do that is through writing policy. For example, you might have a policy, a finance policy around who can spend what. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. my world, we call that a delegations policy. It's a, a authority and delegations policy that outlines what roles can spend what money in what way and for what purpose. They are lines of accountability around spending money. And so governance is the application of those lines of accountability being formalised. They're produced, they're defined, they're 
drawn up and they're managed on an ongoing basis. Great companies have governing frameworks, different kinds of frameworks that form an ecosystem. In other words, a, an intricate sort of, I guess, not complicated. Culture. Yeah, an intricate culture, exactly right, where all of these different frameworks talk to each other and they share insights and perspectives around different components of what's happening in the business. And an example of that might be risk, how they manage risk and how risk informs how we deliver our business plans, how we um, how we control and manage through writing policies and procedures and all that kind of thing. So governance has an internal aspect to it. It also has an external aspect to it around compliance, yeah. how we comply with all the regulatory stuff that we have to do. And so to, I guess, link on to your question about post-pandemic yeah. and governance and how this all matters now, now more than ever I'm finding in organisations I'm working in that Governance is really quite critical. We are no longer focusing on just complying, just yeah. ticking the box and doing what we have to do. And the reason why is because more and more businesses are recognising that when they've got this, these great defined lines in place, the insights they're getting informs their decision-making. Mm -hmm. So the quality of everyone's decisions, all the leaders' decisions in the business are much better and they're more confident about their decision-making because their governance frameworks actually inform them around decisions. Nice. It's nice, hey? Okay. And the other thing too, of course, is that great governance forces transparency and accountability. Ooh, leaders don't like that. <laughs> transparency and accountability, right? So when you've got transparency and accountability, what that means is that you've got a eth more ethical culture, well, at least it drives the need for a more ethical culture because yeah. there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, right? So there's things are so open and transparent. Ultimately, it means great leaders can make great decisions that are ethical and transparent for the right reasons to move them towards their goals. Mm. And that's really what it comes back to. So I'm finding more and more post-pandemic that organisations are recognising, great leaders are recognising that this governance stuff, when it's done well and it's done properly and it's yeah. done in a right-sized way, it's not all that BS and all that crap that, you know, we're not maintaining and we're overkilling and all the rest of it, is really, really beneficial and it contributes to the bottom line because it enables us to much, much more easily and agilely move towards our goals. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes back to. So it's been there's been quite a shift around it and it also means that leaders are equipping themselves to be better informed around how to be a great leader and how to oversight effectively too. So yeah. that's, that's what seems to be happening. Well, it seems, I mean, I love, I love what you said. And, and the thing I remember about being in corporate leadership before, um, because I've heard from a lot of my friends, things have really drastically shifted since the pandemic and everything, the quiet quitting and everything else is that the leadership generally wants everybody else to be held accountable, but they don't want that upwards accountability. What do you do when you face with that? When you find that you have a client where they want all the rules to be applied to everybody else, but when it's really it supposed to be applied to C-suite, that's the most important factor. What do you deal, what do you do yeah, when you have to deal with that? So real conversations have to be had. And you look, Robert, one of your callers, Robert, has actually said, yes, they're seduced by the power. Most absolutely. Those real conversations really do come back to what, what do they feel their role is as a leader? What, what does leadership mean to them? Is it about the power or is it about recognising that part of their job is to coach, to guide and to lead? Yeah. And these conversations are really, really sometimes mirror holding. Let me hold the mirror up for you and understand <laughs> what everyone else is experiencing here. Because while I'm a corporate governance professional, et cetera, et cetera, I really care about people's feelings. How do people feel about the environment you're creating? Because how people feel drives their behaviours. Yes. And if you want people to move towards the goals that you're defining, how they feel should be a really big factor for you as well. You would so, think. <laughs> you would think, right? And because leaders, let's be realistic, you know, I hold the mirror up in front of the leaders to see themselves. Their behaviour is mirrored by others. They set the tone. Leaders set the tone for how everyone should be behaving across the business mm -hmm. and that, that naturally actually happens, regardless of whether they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit, early in my leadership journey, I was around leaders. I was mirroring leaders' behaviour because 
I had to go along to get along, even right. though I knew in my in myself I wasn't really aligned with what they were doing, but I felt I had to and I didn't feel I had a choice. And so, um, you know, once you know better, you do better. Yes. So, so the first thing I like to do is those leaders that are actually open to having a conversation, we have one. What does it feel like? Honest, like, like fully honest, like transparent, like let's get 100%. to the ship right now. Yeah. That's absolutely because because I can go in and produce the most amazing frameworks and policy and we can have a great ethical culture, we can define values and behaviours, we can do all these amazing things. But if the leader has got a do as I say, not as I do mentality, yeah. all of that's not going to stick because this governance stuff that I do, yes, it's about the policies and procedures and the documentation, but it's also about the culture and the mindsets of leaders. Mm-hmm. It's actually a complete package and I'm only successful when there's real commitment by the leadership team in recognising that it's not just about you telling them what they've got to do. It's actually more about I've actually got to walk the walk and talk the talk because they are taking their cues around what's acceptable and what's not acceptable from me, the leader. Mm-hmm. So we we have those conversations. <laughs> I love that. I don't I don't know if I told you this before when we were talking, but uh, when I was working in corporate, one of the side hustles that I had as a professional speaker was doing corporate trainings. And one of the things that I did on was generational differences. The different we had at that point, we had silence, baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Ys. The Gen Zs were just being thought of. And there was yeah. so many, so many intricacies in having the multiple generations working side by side. I just saw a report recently done and I knew this was coming up. The baby boomers were retiring at such a fast age that the Gen Xers, the baby boomer generation was like yeah. this Gen X yeah. generations like this, as far as quantity. So there was like a, a, a gap in what was going to be filled for leadership by the Gen X into the baby boomers. And now yeah. we have the Gen Z's and the Gen Y's in there. Talk to us about that, that difference in the leadership style between a, a baby boomer and a Gen Xer perhaps versus the, the new generation of workers and leaders. Yeah, look, look, absolutely. And it's a really, it's really interesting too, because um, for me, the, the the younger generation from an educational standpoint have a richness of their knowledge that really needs to permeate through the business. And sometimes when those Gen Xs and those baby boomers are really quite stagnant at those higher levels, the Gen Ys don't actually get a voice. Yeah. And it's actually really disappointing because the Gen Ys actually have really valuable insights and perspectives that are valuable to the business if they actually yes. open up and and at least undertake some pulse checks around where things are at and, and enable them to, to uh, share their insights and their perspectives. You know, these great cultures and these great environments, in my experience, have a way for everyone to have a voice in some way or in some form. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that voice needs to be moderated or regulated so that they're only saying all the good positive things. It's more about having a culture of having the real conversations and actually working through things and recognising that one plus one equals three. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that concept before, of one plus one equals three. But that's where, Chris, you, you've got some ideas and some experience and I've got some ideas and experience. And when we come together, we actually create something new from both of our bases. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's your stuff, there's my stuff, and there's this new bit that's actually been leveraging and uh, it's leveraged from your knowledge and my knowledge. And that's great organisations create environments where they can act, make one plus one equal three because they're leveraging, util- utilising their skill sets much more effectively that way. So I'm totally with you. Um, would you like an example of how a company can do that? Like how, what, how do you actually hear from your Gen Ys? Would you like yeah, something I mean, like that? Yeah, actually, that was that was going to be one of my next questions. I have so many different questions popping up in my brain um, because one of the things that I would have difficulty in when I was in corporate was getting people to be honest in their evaluation of what leadership was doing, what the company was doing. Everybody was scared to death that they were going to be found out if they told the truth. So much so yeah. we had one of the things that I advocated for in my role, I was in operations, but I worked closely with the human resources staff. Mm-hmm. And so I was all about the morale. I got my, my master's degree in organizational management. So it was effectiveness, you know, all that stuff. And I, I went to the HR people and I said, let's enter this contest. It was actually from the Orange County Register as a local newspaper. And they yeah. had the best company, best places to work for uh, contest. And so I went to management, I went to my boss and I said, what do you guys think about entering this? Let's enter this. And then the staff can submit what their, what their survey responses are. And then as a management team, every single management meeting every month, we'll take one of those aspects that they're not happy with. And we can work on as a team to implement some solutions. And yeah. then each year raise the place that we, that we have in the contest. But even that, honestly, Lisa, 
went back to my staff and we went around the whole building and said, okay, it's completely anonymous. And still people trusted me. They would tell me off the record, like, Chris, I'm not going to tell the honest truth because I feel like they can track my IP address. I feel yeah. like they're, they're going to, like they based it on department and my department has three people in it. So they're going to say, okay, the operations team, so one of those three people doesn't like this. Talk to us about that and then and give us an example as well, because I know that's one of the biggest obstacles that I hear from my leadership friends is getting that honest feedback. Everybody's scared shitless, to be honest. Look, I totally get it. And I can understand why, right? Because all of us in different ways have had the experience where we were, we did speak up. Oh, yeah. We were found out and there were really shitty consequences. And, um, you know, they ask for our opinion, but they don't actually really want to hear it. They, what they want to hear is how great they're doing and that everything's <laughs> great and fine. And if you want that, then why ask us? I totally get it. I totally understand. One of the things that I find is really useful um, especially for those of you out there that are that actually own some of these governance frameworks I'm talking about. You might own the, the HR framework or the recruitment framework. You might own the risk framework, whatever else that, you know, you might own a process within the organisation that enable you to do this. What I really love doing is organising for pulse checks. Yeah. And this pulse check, it's a survey, but I was, I actually in one organisation, because there was such a big fear over what if I say something and then, I'm telling the truth, but it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, or it's wrong and bad from a management standpoint because they don't want those concerns out there, you know, and I don't want to close down people's responses. People need to understand what's happening. But I don't want to feed the rumor mill, rumor mill around crap either. So what I did was I set up a pulse check process and from a, you know, purist governance standpoint, I got my audit and risk committee to sponsor it. Oh, wow. So the, so the chair of the audit and risk committee actually asked me, even though I recommended that he do this, could you please, you know, I'd like to put a pulse check process in place because the audit and risk committee would love to understand what the emerging issues and risks are in the business so that we can be on the front foot in managing them. And so to provide some level of comfort and safety is confidential. And I've asked Lisa Coletta, to set up some kiosks throughout the business. It's basically a computer that's left turned on with the survey available and individuals any time of the day and night could sit on that kiosk and put in their feedback. Ooh, I like that. What it meant was that there was no IP address fear. There was no naming fear. There was no, I saw Lisa sitting there, so that must have been her response fear. Right. And what we actually found from a response standpoint, and we were doing this monthly because I was basically the steward of the risk framework. So I was actually gathering the data and turning it into really meaningful information for the audit committee to consider against the organization's strategic risks. These are the top risks for the business. Chris, can I tell you what we found? I've got goosebumps even now. was absolutely incredible. People at these amazing employees at the front of our customer processes were sharing insights and perspectives around their experiences that we'd never heard of before. Wow, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where for those of you that are risk management junkies, it's those unknown unknowns that we were really worried about, mm -hmm. and they became known unknowns. So what we actually found was that over time I was able to start categorising and sort of said, what do you think the top five issues are in the business? And they could pick from some drop-downs because we were starting to get some consistent data every month. And then we'd say, is there anything we've missed? And they would be giving us these absolute perla, absolute gifts, absolute gifts of content around what we could do better, what were current issues in the environment, what were concerns. And we also found over time too, we had a couple of incidences where people were too scared to speak up around fraud and corruption matters and they yeah. were able to speak up through that process. Even though we had an anonymous helpline that no one trusted, they still went to this process instead. So getting, enabling people to share their feelings is important because, again, it's a pulse check. This is how people are feeling right now. You know, if we had a safety incident in our business um, and, uh, you know, people were a bit concerned about our safety equipment, it's pretty old, we need to upgrade mm -hmm. it. That is a really important aspect of people's lives and their well-being. Yes, we should yes. be spending money on this, help with the decisions. Those kind of things work really well, I found, and it makes people feel like they're being heard because they are being heard. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the reports and the outcomes are being published. This is the top five things everyone said. So as part of next month's survey was the results of last month's, the top things that everyone said. And we also started to feed in what is management doing about it. Mm-hmm. 
because it's one thing to give you all this free advice and it's another thing to go thank you <laughs> and then go okay well what do we do with it and exactly. we needed to, and because it was part of the board process we needed to get really great runs on the board to show that we we're actually genuinely doing something about it so yes that's yeah. how it worked and it worked yeah and how do you how do you have that enforceability? I mean, it's one thing to come in there and say, okay, we're going to have this 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 uh, governance expert come in and, and change everything around. We're going to follow the rules and everything else, and it all sounds great on paper, and they want to do that. But sometimes we find in, in the backside that that's some of the stuff is not supported and long lasting. What are some things that staff members can do on their own to help support those initiatives and, and keep people held accountable? Well, there's a couple of things, and the accountable accountable is exactly the point. With these processes, whenever boards and executives start putting these types of initiatives in place, there needs to be really great clarity on who's accountable and who's responsible. Yeah. So those words accountable and responsible, as you may know, are two different words. They mean two different things. Accountability means that the buck stops with one person and one role. And responsibility means that multiple people might be responsible for delivering aspects of that. And so the first thing we did was get the right leaders with the right accountability and the right authority to have the power to do something about it because typically yeah. they don't do it because they all feel it's too hard and I don't have the delegations and bloody, 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 bloody and all that kind of thing. So that there's, there's that side of it, first of all. As staff members and as team members, part of the conversation when you're responding to these types of things is to actually say, I don't believe anything's being done about any of this stuff. I don't yes. feel my contribution to this survey is actually being taken seriously. Right. If enough people actually stand up and share how they feel around that, statistically, as a leader, I've got to stand back and go, 30% of the people that we surveyed this month are saying we're doing nothing with this data. That's an issue. That is a huge issue. <laughs> and then I've got the board committee saying, well, Lisa, what do we do about this? And, of course, as a, as a good leader, I'm going to stand back and say, well, how about we ask for some volunteers? We've got all these projects coming up. We've got these great team members out there that clearly want things to change. Are they willing to put in a little bit of time to support it? And it doesn't matter what level of the business you're in or what division or whatever else. Yeah. If people are willing to put some time in, and it's a great opportunity for them to showcase their skills and their knowledge with, with the board and with senior leaders. Yeah. So I've never found it being an issue, Chris, to find great volunteers as long as I open it up and say, you're passionate about this, we, we need you, we need you. Mm -hmm. Just because they're a senior leader doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right person to deliver these outcomes. Yeah, I love that. You're, you're, you're making me think about all these different things in my corporate life that I tried to let go of, but it's a lot similar to what I did because my staff would sit there and complain <clears throat> about certain different things. And I had a huge staff. I had one of the largest groups in the, in the company. And so what I would do is I would pull everybody together and get, what are your ideas? What are the problems? Let's state the problems. What are your expectations yeah. about the problems? What are your potential solutions of the problems? And do you want to be involved in the implementation of those problems or the solutions? Because oftentimes they just have this narrow scope of what it is. Why can't we just do this? Why can't we just do this? So yeah. my idea was like, let's get them involved in this process so they can see from stem to stern exactly what's involved. So they can go back and tell their, their friends like, oh my God, I thought we, they just needed to get different coffee, but there's this, that, and the other thing that we need to consider yeah. There's health reasons. There's all these different things. So yeah. it empowered these, these people to be more aware of the totality of the situation and then be involved in those solutions. And that gained them uh, exposure with senior management and, and, and promotion opportunities within themselves. But the biggest thing that I found Lisa, was a lot of them didn't want to be a part of the solution process anymore. They're like, oh my God, I didn't realize how cumbersome it was and the legalities and this, that, and the other thing. Talk to yeah. us about talk to us about the differences now in those generations. Like now I'm hearing so many different things about Gen Z. Are they standing up and being more vocal and and and, and holding people more accountable? Look, it's really interesting, you know, and you, you're really great. You're raising incredibly great points, right? Because it's one thing to expect them to do it, but it's another thing to actually step up and do it yourself. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I've, I've been That's quite a few... <laughs> Yeah, you learn, right? And quite a few organisations actually give people the opportunity to step up and give it, give it a go. Yeah. And you have people saying, I wouldn't be a general manager. for, I wouldn't be a, a director or a president for all the money in the world in this place. I tell you, it's, it's all just too hard. Um, and I guess it's one of those things too where um, when it comes to these Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, their approach and their wiring is just so different. Yeah. I'm a Gen X. I'm yep, pretty sure too. you're a Gen X as well, right? Uh, and I've, I've got... I've got Gen Ys and Gen Zs in my household, um, my children, my young adults, should I say. <laughs> but they're, they're why it's so incredibly different. And I think it's one of those things where 
they have an, a much better inner knowing about themselves and who they are, Chris, than what yeah. we were when we grew up. I mean, I've got a 15-year-old who already knows what she wants to do and who she wants to be. What do, you find, what do you attribute that to? I mean, since you have personal experience, what do you attribute that awakening to? I mean, I mean, there's obviously access to information and everything, but why is this younger generation seems so bold and dynamic in, in the way they're approaching life? Look, I think that there's, um, 15's not young anymore. And I'm not sure what happened because when I was 15, I didn't even know which way was up. My my biggest issue was how my hair looked and what, you know, what I was wearing to school and all this kind of stuff. It's it's a very, very different world now. And, and you're right, the level of information they have access to enables them to basically shop for ideas about who they am, who they are. Because when they're online, they're actually looking for and testing likeness because like attracts like. Yep. So they're actually navigating through and going, you know, I am kind of like them, but not like them. I love music, but I can't sing, but I do like this and I, I don't, don't do that or I don't like that. And so through this process, I think, of exploration and discovery and the amount of information that's out there, as well as the level of space they have now to really, because our parenting styles were different to the parents we had. Um, I don't know about oh, yourself, but I know I'm not my mother and I'm not my father. Um, oh, I'm very, very I'm not my that. mother. <laughs> you know, and, and we've actually proactively done that because we've experienced <clears throat> a certain type of environment and we've either gone, I'm going to take the best bits of that or I'm going to actually create one that I feel is going to serve my environment and who I am better. I, I've created a space where I've done my best to, dare I say, put really great governance into my kids' heads. Yeah. And that is I've taught them, yeah, right? So I've taught them a couple of things or I like to think I've taught them a couple of things. I like to think that I taught them about how to make great decisions. Yeah. Talk to us about that, components of that. That's actually yeah. one of my questions was how do we make better decisions and how do we problem solve decisions. more effectively? Look, and, and I can tell you that I've had, I've actually had decision making. I've been giving my kids decision making training for a really long time. And I'll give you a real <laughs> example. Okay. We, um, I was, I am, was and am a working mother. And my children used to go to childcare before they were in school. They went to pre-prep school and preschool. Yep. That's what my and, son And um, both my son and my daughter both did it. And, as you know, once they went into school, they, you know, went through the process of, um, you know, navigating a little bit more with less of my support. They used to want to take tools, uh, toys to school. They would pick up this really expensive toy. Um, Cabbage Patch Kids, for some reason, was my daughter's <laughs> favourite thing. And they were quite expensive. Like for us, they were about 70 or 80 Australian dollars, which is not that much US, I know, because yeah. Australian dollars pretty crap. But it was about 80 bucks. It's a it's a bit of money, you know. It wasn't a cheap toy. Yeah. She'd want to take a, her, her most favourite Cabbage Patch to school, and I, her name's Amelia. And I'd say to little Amelia, imagine this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl looking at me going, I'm taking my toy to toy school. And I'd say, Amelia... What are the rules about taking toys to school? What do you need to think about? And she'd go, I don't know, Mum. And I'd say, okay, let's think about it. What can happen to your toy? Could get lost, could get stolen, could get dirty, could get broken. If any of those four things happen, what are the rules about if they happen? Rule number one, you made the decision to take it, so Mum does not want to hear about it. Rule number two, mum is not buying you another one. So knowing that I don't want to hear about it and I don't want to buy you another one and you know how much you love your Cabbage Patch doll, what can happen to it? Are you happy to live with the consequences of it? So yeah. she sat back, you know, little Amelia with this blonde hair and this these big blue eyes, she sat back. How old was she at this point? Probably about four, four and a half. Okay. Got the picture. She disappeared. She came back out. What have you decided, Amelia? I'm taking this McDonald's piece, of, you know, McDonald's toy to school instead, Mum. I don't care if it gets broken. I don't care if it gets stolen. I don't care if I lose pieces. And I know you're not going to buy me another one. And I know that you don't want to hear about it. Wow. At four years old. That's amazing, Lisa. Four years old. Look, it took a long time because mm -hmm. she had to lose a couple of toys. She had to get a couple of toys dirty and broken. She had to raise stuff with me where I went, ah, honey, your decision. I chose not to create this yes-no environment for my kids because, mm -hmm. first of all, I my husband was always a no person and I'm not. Yeah. And life is not yes and no. Life is not black and white. Life yes. is shades of grey. 
So when it comes to decision-making, having a great decision-making model and, a var and variables around decision-making is really important. Regardless of whether you're dealing with a four-year-old or whether you're dealing with some of those children on boards. And I, I do deal say, with some of those are four-year-old C-suite four people. Four-year-old C-suites, right? So yep. you kind of stand back from it and you go, I know you really want this toy or you really want to buy this property, but here's our strategy. And our strategy says that for us to be able to deliver on the strategy, there are certain variables. Let's have a look at our decision-making model around how we make great decisions and whether the answer is this property or something else. Is the answer taking the cabbage patch or is it something else? We build great decision-making environments by building a really great reusable framework around how to make decisions, Chris. That's the reality of it. That's how we do it. And that's how we do it really well. Sometimes there's pushback because, again, a lot of people think this covenant stuff is all bullshit. Even from a personal standpoint, having your own rationale for how you make decisions will really hold you in good stead mm -hmm. because if you've got a really great consistent way around how you assess and make decisions in your role or in your home or in your environment and there's usability around it, as long as you're coming from a really great place and you understand how and where those lines are of what you can decide and what you can't, you, you won't actually go wrong. Mm. You, might, you, might get some, you might make the wrong decision, but you'll also learn from it and reinform your model around how you make decisions in the future. Yes, I love that. I love that. So speaking of that, do you have some frameworks of, of problem solving ways that you, do, that you go about? I know for me, SWOT analysis was always a really good one, but do you have other ones that, that you use with your, with, your, with your clients? Look, I do, I do. Sometimes I find that my clients don't really see the difference between what an issue is and what a risk is. Mm -hmm because they get so caught up in the emotional aspects of the issue. Oh, it's this and that and this and that's going to happen. And then they they kind of forward, forward scope all the wrong and badness and it turns into this really big um, this really big drama cycle. You've heard of the drama cycle before where they become the victim and there's always a villain and they're yeah. always waiting for someone to come in and save the day. What I really like to use is more of a coaching approach around it where we're recognising that, first of all, the person or the um, the individual that's actually having this dynamic or having this challenge or issue around decision-making can take a slightly different perspective around it because it's one of those things where, um, in my experience, we forget our perspective isn't the only perspective. <laughs> yeah. And so when we stand back, one of the models I love to use the most is to say, okay, what is the issue? Let's just get to the real crux of it. In one sentence, what's the actual issue? What are the risks associated with the issue? Why, why is it keeping you awake at night? What are you really worried about? And what are the true risks? And what's the likelihood and consequence of these risks occurring? Right. Let's be real about it because sometimes, in fact, a lot of the time, our imaginations run pretty wild, right? Especially if we're a little bit of, you know, got a bit of an anxiety thing going on. Um, we got we get taken away too heavily by what the risks are, um, and realistically, what, whether they're real risks or not. And so, as part of that process, I love to get other stakeholders in to support getting perspective around. Will that really happen? Will that, you know, that happened once twenty five years ago? Are we really going right. to still worry about that now? Or did it really happen this week or this month or this year? Or has it ever happened ever? And then on top of that, start focusing on the ideal outcome. What is it that we want to happen? What is it that we want to do? Because in a lot of these cases, when you do issue risk outcome, we tend to be very heavily focused on what's happened in the past and not what's actually being put in front of us and the opportunity in the future. Right. And it comes back to that same concept, Chris, of... Um, how much time do you spend looking through the rearview mirror and how much time do you spend looking through the windscreen? Mm -hmm. And you and I both know, in fact, everyone knows, that the rearview mirror is quite small and the windscreen is quite large and we can't drive while looking no. back. So we can only drive while we're facing forward. So the model I like to use is issue, risk, outcome, and then I reframe our conversation around getting really clear about what the ideal outcome is to recognise whether the issue is really an issue and whether the risks are actually as risky as they are. So when we define that outcome, we can then work out what we're going to do about it. But we're doing about it and coming from a place that's realistic, it's rational, and it's also 
dare I say, recognizing that we're facing forward to deal with it as opposed to be, as opposed to looking through that windscreen, a rearview mirror, trying to drive forward at the same time. Because mm -hmm. that's where people get stuck. They get stuck looking backwards and past experiences and, and looking forward. So that's a model I like to use. And it seems to generate quite a lot of conversation and discussion and rebalancing around our focus. Does that yeah. kind of land? I love it. I love it straight to the point. And it's also, it's really getting clear, getting clear on defining the problem. I and mean, one of the biggest situations that I would run into in corporate life was I, we would, we would talk about the symptom of a problem, but we would never actually talk about the root of the problem. Really so with my staff and with what we did in the management meetings was really like drill down to get get clear, get focused on what is the underlying problem? What's the underlying situation? And they'd be able to tackle that because that would then solve for so many other situations invariably. Yeah. <clears throat> one of yeah, the things absolutely. that, one of the things that I find that I'm hearing from my friends that are still in corporate um, is, is especially in this post pandemic world is relationships, right? You know, coworker relationships, you know, you got people who are mask advocates, you got people who can't stand the mask, you got people pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-Trump, um, anti-Trump. I mean, especially here in the United States. Yeah. What, what and, and people are finding, my manager friends are finding like to be able to mitigate some of these relationship issues between staff and between themselves as managers in this new type of world, people are sitting there coming to work saying, I'm not gonna come to the office anymore. I was way more productive at home. Why are you making me do this? I have to deal with so-and-so person. That person doesn't want me to be around them if unless I'm wearing a mask. Yeah all those relationship situations, what are some critical um, success points that you might have for people to, to better foster those relationships in these delicate times? Look, another really great question. And it's something I'm actually finding more and more are really, I guess, really landing right now and getting to the crux of dealing with this because oh, it's yeah. been a little while, it's been a little while now, right? I don't know about yourselves, but we've, we've kind of been, we've been out of lockdown for a good year and a bit now. And um, these things are still playing out. There is still yeah. that angst. There's still this undercurrent and angst around all of this pandemic and post pandemic stuff. People are carrying a lot from that, in, from that past experience into where trauma. we are now, right? It's real so what I, yeah. <clears throat> so what I'm finding for a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders is that they're actually going back to their organization's values and behaviors. So a lot of organizations have these things on the wall that say, these are our values, this is what we value, and this is how we behave to deliver against our values. And what they're actually realizing for a lot of them, especially for those that are speaking to me, is that as part of your agreement and your arrangement to be an employee in your organization, you will align your values and behaviors to the organizations as part of your terms and conditions of working there. How does that go over? <laughs> well, this is the interesting part, okay? So for some organizations, they build these really amazing high-level values and behaviors, not even not even the owners or the leaders of the business are even delivering on them, but they'll use it as a big stick to, to hit people over the head with them. Yep. And so all of a sudden, and you know, they call someone like me and I'm like, well, are these values and behaviors being lived, lived now? Well, not really. When you put these kinds of frameworks in place, and there, it's a governance framework, right? It's actually it's, it's defining lines of accountability around behaviour. And so I stand back and I say, well, these these types of frameworks, again, you don't get to put it in once and forget about it because it doesn't work and it pisses everyone off. We need to actually do a couple of things with this stuff. First of all, yeah, yawn, yawn, right? We need to actually keep this framework alive. And the way we do it is we review them and go, are these realistic? Because the owners decided that be kind is a value 15 years ago, but we never really talked about what kindness is and the leaders are not, and the leaders are not exactly kind here anyway. So, you know, let, let's be really clear about it. And so these types of things are in place with the very best intentions, but it also means that we need to make them useful for us. So I have been spending quite a bit of time realigning what does it mean to work here and what does what does it mean and how should we be treating each other? What it means as well, Chris, to be quite frank with you, is that organisations should have these values and behaviours ideally in place whenever they're recruiting people. So they oh, actually recruit people, they recruit people that actually have the same values and behaviours because if the values are here, yeah, right, if the values are here and they're hiring people down here, there's always going to be this gap. Yep. And if you've got to actually leave your personal behaviours and values at the door every day and take on the organisation's one and look at the gap, what yep. is there? <clears throat> misalignment. There's misalignment, Chris. And so those environments where, you know, there's the mask wearers and the non-mask wearers and those who wear masks are not shouldn't be judging those that aren't and those who aren't shouldn't be judging those who are. 
Agreed. Because we're here to do a job. And from a professionalism standpoint, each to their own, right? Is it getting yeah. in the way of me delivering outcomes? Is it getting in the way of making decisions? Is it getting in the way of me doing my work? Is it getting in the way of them doing their work? Am I accountable for them delivering? If the answer to all those things are no, 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 there needs to be, in my personal experience, some real conversations around what is an area of concern for you and what is not an area of your concern. And let's talk about where these behaviours really need to be realigned around what we expect from you as professionals who are being paid for a, to do a job in this organisation. Mm-hmm. Hard conversations, Chris, not easy conversations, but it's it, there's a whole lot of misalignment around it last, right now and I'm seeing it post-pandemic, I'm seeing it everywhere. But it reminds me that the values and behaviours is one of those things that tend to be set and left and it's, yeah. actually a tool, it's actually a tool for leaders and it's actually a tool for staff members as well to say, hey, one of our values is integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, one of our values is to, to take care of each other and I'm wearing this mask today because I've got a little bit of a sore throat. I don't have COVID. I don't know what it is, but because I care about you yeah. and your well-being, I'm wearing this mask. People aren't always wearing masks because they don't trust everyone else. They're perhaps doing mm-hmm. it to actually protect others from themselves. Yep. That's the way I looked so, at it. So it's one of those things where, again, um, having those real conversations and, and realigning is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And getting this, getting the staff in, involved in that, because the thing I found, again, having such a large staff, is they would complain about what the company was doing, and I didn't necessarily have the the authority or the the input to necessarily change all that. But in my own little company, I used to call it my own little company, yeah. is I got them involved. We created a mission statement, a vision statement. Yeah. We we aligned. We decided what our values were as a materials as an operations group. And so when we would be talking about things, whether it was related to the customer, the external customer, or the internal customer, does it align with our core values? That all of us together as a team had input on so we we would go i would spend a lot of time on this my my manager my boss was like chris you're spending too much time on this you know for for yeah. for line staff you know for warehouse staff and mail staff i'm like no 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 no. these guys are the backbone of what's going on here and they're the ones that are touching yeah. the customer first the ceo's not touching the customer these guys are touching the customer so what is it that we can do and so when we got that alignment we got the values in place and everybody agreed mm-hmm. on and had them sign off on it you Love know it. It, was, it was it was a it was a it was a um it was a i had them all do it at an all employee meeting so we yeah. all presented and everything. So they all felt empowered and everything. So again, they had to answer their own questions by sitting there saying, okay, is this to align with the values? And then also, as far as the relationship situation was going, um, I taught my staff, I said, the number one relationship rule is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And, and over the course of so many years, I had a lot of people that were there for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, being able to implement that not only in their professional lives, but in their personal lives, found them so much greater success and, and inner, inner um, confidence to be able to address some situations like that. One of the other things that I've been thinking about wanted to talk to you about is all these uh, studies and, and all of a sudden I'm just hearing about chat GBT or whatever the hell it is. Wow. I, finally got, I finally got to see what it was. It's yeah. pretty incredible. But when you're hearing but I just heard an alarming statistic the other day. I can't remember who quoted it. I heard it on the news and it was talking about that they said by, I think it was 2035, that about 40% of current staff occupations are going to be replaced by AI and robotics. Talk yeah. to us about that conversation with C-suite leaders and let us know what is that realistic and what can we start doing as employees ourselves to start preparing for that shift in what's going to be happening with the technology and everything. Look, yeah, look, really, 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 really great. And, and can I just tell you your example and your story around that co-creation piece with your team, incredible investment, foundational investment in your in your team and, and how they're moving forward. Thank this, you. This, yeah. this whole IA piece, uh, the AI piece is a really interesting piece from where I'm sitting because there are, there's this expectation or this perception that the more human computers get, the less we need humans. <laughs> And I kind of stand back for a moment and I think, well, it's, you know, we aren't robots. And look, as a, again, as a governance purist, it'd be really nice if we all were, were because we can put those lines in the computers and computers know what a, what a hard control is and what a soft control is. Soft controls are relying on people. Hard controls are relying on systems. And so those hard controls are beautiful because guess what? You cannot get past it until you actually satisfy that need from that hard control. Mm. And an example of that is, you know, when you fill out a form on a website or you're doing online shopping and you've got a, you've got a field, it's got the asterisks, the must complete. Yeah. You know, you must put your date of birth in or whatever it is. That is a hard control that you cannot get past to move to the next stage of the process. 
And so it's nice to have these things in organisations where you cannot pass go because humans find ways to get around things. Oh, yeah. Right? It's it's kind of like, you know, you write a policy on something. Here are, the, here are some principles around how we're doing things around here in a certain area and individuals will look at those principles and apply them, excuse me, based on their knowledge, their skills and their experience and whether or not they want to comply or not because principles-based policy rely on them in using their judgment, whereas black and white rules are black or white. Yes, you can, right. you can't. The computer environment and the AI piece loves the black and the white. What they're, doing right, what they're doing right now is they're educating technology to navigate through shades of grey. It, it learns and it grows and it learns and it grows and it learns and it grows. Every time it gets a new piece of data, it actually interprets based on whether it's occurred before and what component of that could potentially be reused and what can we learn. And it will actually ask for human interventions at certain intervals and at certain points. It's, it's interesting because while there's fear around it, there's also opportunity around it. Right. As with anything. As with anything. And what I'm finding at the moment, like yourself, is that there's a lot of talk about it and there's a lot of the statistics out there saying, oh, you know, 40% of jobs will no longer be required in companies. They're not saying which 40%. Right. And they're also not talking about the 60% of new jobs that haven't even been thought about or invented yet. And for me, I kind of sit back and go, well, it could end up meaning that my skill set is no longer required. I don't know. But I have a continual learning, growing mindset. I am just like AI. Mm -hmm. And so for those of us or for those of you out there that are concerned about this, you know, alarming sort of situation with AI, provided that you are a human that's learning and growing, you'll always find a way to be able to provide value. You'll always be able to find your place and your space in this world to be able to deliver what you're passionate about, provided you're always learning and growing. As yes. soon as you get stuck, as soon as you go, well, oh, well, I'm one of the 40% and just look at it as an, from a negative standpoint and be quite fixed in your thinking, whatever you believe, you'll achieve. So, so true. And so I'm sure you, I'm sure you, uh, you share that quite regularly through your, your processes, Chris. Whatever you believe, you achieve. So the more you believe that I am a human that is going to, you know, make the best decisions I can, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, I'm going to fail, but I'm going to learn from the failure, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to keep moving forward, you will always naturally be doing what AI does and you'll naturally be able to position yourself where you need to be. Yes. Love that, Lisa. It's uh, a, yeah. it's 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 amazing. I mean, it's so true. I mean, when I think about my evolution, getting into the workplace uh, at such a young age. I was in there at seventeen years old. Um, it's pretty incredible. You know what I just kept trying to do was like find what the problem was and find how I could become the solution for that or how I could, how I could take that off somebody else's hands. And so yeah. you're right with the new AI, who's going to, who's going to manufacture the robots, who's going to work on the robots, who's going to program the AI, who's going to, there's all sorts of different opportunities for people. If they just have that open consciousness instead of like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? And then they just sit by and wait for it to happen. Then they sit there and play the victim role. Like, Oh my God, I didn't know it. You know, it's, it's yeah. pretty ridiculous. We have to take responsibility upon ourselves to go back into school. So many people want to quit school after high school. Like I'm not going back to school again. Well, don't be surprised you find yourself in a situation where you're not making any money you became you become redundant or anything else like that you have to be a, an advocate for your own career success whether you're an entrepreneur or you work in you know in a corporate environment we have to be responsible for ourselves to to take that ownership and take that proactivity in ourselves to see what's coming next and see what it is that we want to do or like you and i did sit there and say okay we don't want to do that shit anymore we're going to go out and do our own thing which has its own problems and its own set of circumstances that we have to deal with and face um yeah. independent contractors and whatnot but yeah yeah absolutely and i think we need to keep in mind too that there's a difference between thinking and doing oh yeah <laughs> that's why it's called thinking so yeah, exactly right, right. So there's thinking and then there's doing. And even from the AI context and the AI perspective, my understanding of it right now is that it's doing a hell of a lot of thinking and it's providing a hell of a lot of advice. And, yes, it's starting to do some doing, but the level of, uh, I guess, automation and the level of technology and the level of change that we need for AI to be able to do everything we do as humans, that that's actually at a very, very different level than what they're really talking about right now. Of course, yeah. They're just I mean, a little it's, myopic picture. 
well, you know, it's like, oh, it's great. They can look at all of my past posts on LinkedIn and uh, create new posts for me based on the topic I'm writing about. Well, that's really fantastic. That saves me, you know, two and a half hours a week. But that's a small aspect of what Lisa does and who Lisa is. Right. And so I think it's one of those things where, again, it's about that perspective and that context that we really need to keep in mind and not make it any bigger than it needs to be. So we'll have to wait and see what the future holds, Chris, hey? So true, Lisa. Oh my God, we've been talking for almost an hour. Uh, I could sit here and talk to you for another couple of hours on this stuff. I, I somewhat miss, I somewhat miss my my leadership role and and being in corporate. Sometimes I do miss that in team building and everything else. But with the state of the situation now and leadership and everything else, I'm I'm much rather be on this side of the fence and and dealing with these things. Where can people get a hold of you to continue the conversation? Where can they learn more about you and wow. uh, and and be able to implement some of these things for themselves? Well, there's a couple of different ways you can reach out. Um, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, you're very welcome to jump on and find me on LinkedIn. Um, there are a couple of Lisa Colettas there, but I'm Lisa Coletta, the founder of the Governance Collective. Love to hear from you. Send me a message through LinkedIn. That'd be fantastic. If you're interested in having some one-on-one -on -one time with me, my website has currently got a complimentary one-hour offering for a free consultation with me if you'd like to talk a little bit further. So feel free to do that. Um, you can see my email, my website address on your screen right now. Thank you for putting that up there, Chris. That's really lovely of you. Do you want to just spell it out for people so people listening okay. on the audio podcast? Yep, no problem. It's www.governancecollective.com.au. And that is governance, not government. I get mm -hmm. that quite a bit, the whole government, government's governance thing, www.governancecollective.com.au. And I would love to hear from any of your listeners, Chris. Please reach out if you'd like to continue this conversation. Yes, yes, yes. And they can get a hold of you by email as well. Email, absolutely. Lisa at governancecollective.com.au. Please reach out. Love yes, to chat. Yes. Do it, do it, ladies and gentlemen. When these opportunities arise, you have to take these opportunities and run with them and become Absolutely. the person in the, the your, your competition. You want to be the one with the most answers. So um, take up Elisa on her offer and go there and go forth and be responsible for your careers and your lives. I'm going to put you backstage, Lisa, for just a second. Don't go anywhere because I still want to chat with you. And I'm just going to end out the show in just a few moments. Thank you. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here and enjoying this conversation. I'm going to go back and I saw there was a couple of comments here. I just want to go back and uh, just highlight and just say thank you guys all for being here. Um, yeah, Nicole, Nicole Young. Yeah, um, I definitely. Uh, yeah, she says here she goes our strength. Um, our biggest strength can also be our weakness. Absolutely. hundred percent. I tend to be very verbose and very opinionated. And sometimes that could be my greatest weakness. Um, let's see. We got stuff on the back. Uh, sciatica has been acting up. We got, we got, everybody's sympathizing with my back pain here. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Robert says here, many things can be said when a smile or a grin is also in place. Um, absolutely. I'm not sure what this relates to, but uh, Natalie says, oh my fucking God. Oh my, what? Yeah, I'm on fucking God. Uh, I'm literally nuts and it's official. Okay. Well, that's good. I uh, appreciate that. <laughs> and Robert says here, welcome to the club, Natalie. I like it here. Yeah, I think Robert's the president. Um, we got Jacqueline Rose in the house. Thank you for being here as well. We got LinkedIn user. I think this is somebody we know, Lisa. Um, says, hello, Lisa and Christopher with a purple heart. Well, thank you, LinkedIn user. Unfortunately, your name isn't coming over, but thank you for being here with us. I want to capture this comment here. I'm not sure... It's a big one. Um, so we'll put it on the screen. I don't know if you'll be able to show up. Uh, Natalie says, I am dealing with the fight of my life, trying to prove that my PTSD was real and the constant increased violence at work triggered me to disassociate and to protect and defend the victim. Uh, but I know in time the story will be told because I am still waiting and fighting and did so much um, investigation that I solved the problem myself. As always, I had to do it anyways. Don't want to cause issues at the moment, but in time, I guarantee you nothing happens. Um, uh, nothing happens for a reason. Is this a sign? Yeah, it's absolutely a sign. It's a sign that you're taking responsibility and you're going after it and you're making things happen. And, uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. And, uh, Patricia says here, Lisa is filled with wisdom. I love this. So thank you, Patricia, for being here. Appreciate you. Can't wait to be doing this with you, uh, here in a couple of months. Uh, we're talking about sleep here. We got Robert in the house. Uh, Robert, I'm always going to get back to your um, your comments as well. And um, let's see if there's any other ones in here. Um, 
Um, yeah, Natalie says here, common human decency don't exist now. Imagine I need people. I think common decency actually does uh, exist, Natalie. I think it's depending on <clears throat> who it is that you're associating with, but I think there is uh, always opportunity for growth in that perspective. But um, the thing I want you guys to take from this conversation tonight is responsibility. It's upon ourselves to take responsibility for our education, for our growth, for how we interact with others. And also the fact that we need to be honest with our leaders, whether it's in the corporate environment, whether it's in our school environment, whatever it might be, we have to be honest with people. We have to sit there and let them know exactly what's going on. If somebody asks us our opinion and we don't tell them the truth, then how can we expect things to change? Right. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to, especially in this changing dynamic world of the workplace and what's coming next, um, that you are proactive in your education and your responsibility, what it is that you want to do, because life is short. And if there's something that's been a burning passion in your life and you've always been thinking someday I'm going to do this one day, I'm going to do this. Ask yourself, where is one day or where is someday on a calendar? wherever you're at in your age journey, life goes by pretty fast. So if there's something out there that inspires you to go out there and start your own business, go do that. And, and there's so much resources out there. I mean, the internet is an amazing opportunity for you to go out there, figure out what to do. There's Canva now. I mean, there's so many different opportunities and tools for you to start and launch a business. Go after that. You know, if you don't like the corporate world, don't go after that either. But um, ultimately at the end of the day, <clears throat> It's incumbent, it's incumbent upon us to take these solutions and take these opportunities back to our employers and sit there and say, hey, listen, I just saw this discussion the other night and they were talking about these things and and, and going in about doing governance and, and alignment and values and things of that nature. You know, put it in your company suggestion box and put Lisa's name on there. Just because she's in Australia doesn't mean she can't do things here in the United States or Canada. I know we're in 10 different countries right now, so it could be Guam or not Guam. That's not a country. Um, I was trying to think of two different places at once. Uh, we're in, in, we're all over the place, India, Japan, uh, UK, Australia, um, Canada, uh, Japan, Taiwan, we're in all sorts of different places. So whatever it is that you can do in your area, go implement these and be a part of the solution, not be a part of the problem. <clears throat> so thank you guys for being here. And as always, if you are watching this on the video cast, please consider going and subscribing to the audio podcast, supporting us there. And then also if there's any ideas or suggestions for guests or topics that you would like me to have here on the show, please send me an email. You guys can send it to me at Christopher at Christopher You guys follow me on social media. You can send me a private message there. Let me know what types of guests and what types of conversations. Somebody had asked this about this. They said they wanted more business conversations here on the show. So that's why we brought Lisa in on the show. We've got a couple of more of those guests coming up for you because that's what you asked for. So I appreciate you guys. I love you guys so much. Let me know what I I can do for the show to make it a little bit better for you. And I promise we're going to continue doing this every week until we all get it, which could take a lifetime. Love you guys. This is Ron and scripted. I'm Christopher Roush. Go out and have a brilliant day, brilliant evening, and a brilliant afternoon. Love you guys. Bye.